welcome to Real Personal Finance. I'm your host, Scott Frank, CFP, CFA charter holder, and founder of Stone Steps Financial. And I'm your host, James Canole, CFP, MBA, and owner of Root Financial Partners. The premise of our show is simple. Money can be confusing, but it doesn't have to be. Our goal is to answer real personal financial questions that we hear from our clients and our listeners. Each episode, we answer one personal financial question in a clear and understandable way. Because money is a tool. And when you understand the language of money, you can make better decisions to improve your financial life. Hey, Scott. Hey. We're talking about an ESP yes. today. What is an ESP? An employee stock purchase plan. Ah, it's not an ESP. ESPP. Okay, this is a, this is the third part of a really great question we received, and we're breaking it down into three parts because there's, there's really three distinct questions. And the question is, should I maximize participation in an employee stock purchase plan? What is the risk of having all my money tied up with my single employer? Yeah. So let's start by defining what an employee stock purchase plan is. And you sometimes might see ESPP. Mm-hmm. Just, that's the abbreviation. Yep. What is an ESPP? Yeah. So there is nuance that will go beyond what we're going to discuss today. So I'm just going to start there with any trolls listening. Uh, but ESPP is typically a program that allows employees to set aside a certain percentage of their income, which caps out at $25,000 a year. So you can't set aside more than $25,000 a year. But you can enroll in this program, start setting aside your funds, and then every so often, the company will sell you shares. And you would think like, well, why would I do that? What's the benefit? The benefit is typically there is a discount on those shares when you buy them. And typically the the typical percentage that we see is 15%. Mm-hmm. So let's just assume the stock price was $10 uh, the day that they go purchase shares. Well, you would get to buy them at eight fifty a share, mm-hmm. right? Which is a pretty nice deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the the overarching view of an ESPP, and we'll dive into more of the mechanics of it. Yeah, let's, let's, let's break it down because they're yeah. maybe one of the best things you can participate in. For yeah. your financial planning goals. And I think people aren't really sure how they work. And so let's let's start by just breaking it down. So as you mentioned, it's a company benefit that lets employees that are participating in that benefit purchase shares of that company at a discounted price. Correct. Now, one quick uh, just side note. there's There are qualified and non-qualified employee stock purchase plans. Almost Most all. Most of them, almost all of them are qualified. Right. So – Check with HR, but we are going to have a conversation as if this employee stock purchase plan is qualified, and that's all we're going to say about that. But just a quick side note. Yeah. Um, So let's talk about a few different terms. Let's talk about the first one, just calling it enrollment period. Yeah. So there's this first thing. You want to participate in the ESPP or the employee stock purchase plan, you have to choose in the enrollment period how much of your paycheck you want to contribute. Mm -hmm. Now, Scott, you already mentioned that the IRS says you can't do any more than $25,000 per year. That's an IRS maximum. Right. But on top of that, employers will typically have a maximum as well. And typically you, a percentage of salary. Typically a percentage of salary, and I think it ranges between 2 and 15%. So if the IRS says you can contribute 25000 
but you're earning 100000 per year and your employer says, hey, you can't do more than 10%, mm-hmm. well, then really your max is 10000 10% of your annual salary. Right. So the enrollment period is the time that you decide how much of your paycheck you want to contribute. Mm-hmm. So this comes from looking at what, what are your goals, what are you trying to do, how much can you afford to put in this. And if you can afford to do it, we can go out of a limb and say, go ahead and do it. I think we will talk about that more. But yeah. um, it makes sense to do this if you can afford it. Well, the biggest thing is comes back to is going to be cash flow. Right. Right. So if you're going to go into debt to go do this, don't go do it. Don't right? do it. <laughs> like like if, if you need to go spend money on credit cards and start paying a credit card bill of 15%. Like this is not a good deal. For not, you. not a good deal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But if you have extra cash flow in your family and you can afford to set aside funds throughout the year to reap that benefit of that 15% discount, um, it can be beneficial. Yeah. And the reason that's important is because you have what are called purchase periods or enrollment mm-hmm. periods where you are purchasing stock, meaning your employer <laughs> is withholding Let's say let's let's assume that I want let's just to make it 10%. let's just make it really really simple. Give us right? an example. Let's just Use say me. that you're you're coming into your enrollment period and you you set it up so that next year from Jan one to December thirty first you're going to withhold you know fifteen percent of your salary and you make a hundred thousand dollars a year so you're going to withhold fifteen thousand dollars. So yes. every single time there's a pay as soon as Jan one comes and your first paycheck comes fifteen percent of your salary is going to get held back into this ESPP program. Which is why we say, do this if you can afford to without going into debt. Right. If you can't afford to lose 15% of your salary without using a credit card to pay for all of your expenses and not pay that credit card off, don't do this. Right. But if you can, it it might be a good idea. And the reason is, you're not going to see that 15% in your paycheck anymore. And I'm just going to play with your language a little bit. You're not losing the 15%. What we're doing is it's literally just shifting around on your balance sheet. It's Mm -hmm. going into a little ESPP account where they're holding these funds for you, 15% per pay period. And then what will happen is is there are purchase periods that occur. So sometimes it's quarterly. Sometimes it's every six months. Those are kind of the common ones you see. Mm -hmm. So so, um, for you, James, if you did this next year in your company and and you had an uh, every six months purchases were made well then for the first half of the year we're going to take 15 percent of your pay right and so we're going to get to the point where there's a 7500 dollars in there to purchase stock Mm -hmm. and then when we go purchase the stock we're going to purchase it at a discount Mm -hmm. that discount could be based on the value of the stock the day you go purchase it could have a provision built in it called a look back provision where they could, uh, the company could decide that they're going to give you whatever the lowest price was, either at the beginning or the end or some average in between. Uh, whatever the price is that they determine, they're going to get, that's going to be the price that you get to buy at less that discount. Right. So let's, let's use an example because th- this is why this can be so powerful at a minimum. So let, let's assume for a second. So I'm going to call this worst case scenario. It's not even worst case, but like let's, let's just use. An example, if I'm putting 15% of my paycheck into an employee stock purchase plan, Uh and my company, whatever company I work for, is trading at $10 per share on January 1st. Mm -hmm. Now, let's assume six months later, let's say July 1st, the end of the purchase period has happened. Uh And let's assume that stock is still $10 per share. Okay, so it didn't move. Didn't move. Fair. Stock stayed the exact same. Well, if I had a 15% discount... Not to be confused with the 15% that I was contributing. Mm-hmm. If I have a 15% discount, then instead of buying that stock for $10 a share, I am buying it for $8.50 per share. Yes. Which means I buy it at $8.50 and it's immediately worth $10 per share. So there's yes. a guaranteed built-in benefit 
on the date that that purchase period ends. Yes, and this is the key for employee stock purchase plans. If James, if if you that same day, if if you're so you, this is where you have to understand your plan documents and make sure that there's no holding periods that come after you get your shares. But if you're allowed, if there's no blackout periods and and you're you're in the clear to go sell those shares the moment in July that those funds are available to you, you would have a cost basis per share of eight dollars and fifty cents, and the stock in that moment is worth ten dollars. Right. Mm -hmm. The difference between in an ESPP plan, the difference between your cost basis, that 850 and that 10, when you go sell it, will be considered ordinary income. Right. So that's just like you just earned a paycheck. Right. Right. The same taxes that that would come out as far as the federal and state taxes are concerned. Right. Right. Um, Any moment after that, if if the stock goes up a dollar to 11, you know, and, and you go sell. Um, anything above that $10 is going to be either short-term or long-term capital gains, depending on how long you've held the stock. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So the, so the, the, there's a tax, to talk about the tax, there's a gain on the discount that's taxed to ordinary income right away. Right. Doesn't matter if I keep holding that stock or if I sell it right away. Yes. The discount I get is immediately taxed to ordinary income. Yes. Any potential gains after that. Yes. Those taxes are going to depend upon whether I held the shares for a yeah. certain period of time, and we'll come back to this, or whether I, uh, or whether I sold the shares before that time period elapsed. Right, and I didn't dive into it immediately because there's a special rule with the SPPs for long-term capital gains, which is a preferential gain, right? Fifteen percent on typically on long-term gains after a holding period of one year when you hold a normal stock. Mm-hmm. With ESPP, there's a special rule, and it's long-term capital gains if held for a year after purchase, which is just like a normal treatment, and two years after the beginning of the offering period. Mm -hmm. So there are two components to to play with there. So check with your accountant or your advisor that you're uh, hitting the right marks if you want to be holding the stock for long-term capital gains. Yeah. And we'll talk in a second whether it's smart to do that or not. There's different ways to look at that. Um, quickly, though, I want to go back to the example of, of how this look-back provision works. Mm-hmm. So we mentioned that if I'm participating and the stock starts at $10 and ends at $10 over the purchase period, mm-hmm. well, then I get the 15% discount on that $10 per share. Right. So I get a built-in gain, which is great. Mm-hmm. The reason I mentioned before that's kind of worst-case scenario is because that's the least amount of gain I can expect to get. Yeah. If the stock had gone up, let's say it goes up to $15 per share, so one five. Mm-hmm. Well, a look back provision. Yeah, if it was at ten at the beginning with a look back provision, now you're getting to still buy it at eight fifty, but now it's worth fifteen dollars. So a significantly larger uh, discount than I'm buying at. Right. Now, if it went from ten dollars a share to five dollars a share, well, now I get to buy it at a fifteen percent discount from five. So whatever, wherever the stock ends up, if there's this look back provision, you're going to get a guaranteed discount. And that discount could be quite substantial depending on if the stock's gone up or down quite a bit. Yeah. So now with that in mind, is there any reason you wouldn't recommend an ESPP? If I I was a client of yours coming down to sit with you and I said, hey, Scott, I have this employee stock purchase plan benefit. What reason would I have not to participate in that? 
I, I think the biggest reason is that you don't have the cash flow to handle it. Yeah. Now, one thing that we didn't mention here, but it's in most plan documents, and you do you can always double check with HR to make sure that this is the case. Most ESPP plans are designed such that if I'm withholding 15 percent, and all of a sudden, and we're in that that phase where we're building to before we sell shares, and I do have a family emergency and I need that cash, normally you're going to have access to it. Uh, what will happen more than likely is that if let's say that James, you did do that and, and you had the, the, the July purchase, July one purchase or pardon me, June 30th purchase and December 30th purchase just Mm -hmm. to make sure it happens within that year. Let's say that in early June, you have an emergency and you really need that cash. Well, normally you're able to go back and say, Hey guys, I need that cash. But when you do that, you'll essentially put your enrollment and participation in the plan, um, kind of goes on hold for the rest of the year. Typically you can't continue with ESPP until the next enrollment period. If you choose to do something like that along the way. Right. But you can always double check your plan documents to make sure that that's available, but it's what I see commonly. Right. Right. So there's some safeguards built in, but yeah, I think your, your point is correct that really the only reason not to do this is if you don't have the cash flow, justify it. Well, I think you we're, couldn't. yeah. Cause we're getting at one, one thing that we're getting at is in the, it was kind of with that larger question that the, the, uh, the, the, uh, listener asked was, you know, how, how do I do this with tying my money up in the stock? Well, right. here's the thing. Like if you can go and you can get a 15% discount and let's say you could max it out and do $25,000, mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can turn around and immediately sell the stock. Well, then all that you're doing is you're, you're creating a little bit of extra bonus income for you that's kind of free. There's really no risk to that part, right? Yeah. There's very li- well, there's very little. You know, mm-hmm. there's always some risk because, you know, in between the, t- the moment you get the shares, I, I suppose, and, and, and when you go sell the stock, it could plummet to zero. Right. I'm sure there's a, there could be some case where that could happen. It would seem pretty unlikely. Um, but, by, but essentially what you're doing here is you're just saying, hey, give me that 15% discount. And then if you want to turn around and sell that stock right away, you're just creating a little bit of extra income that will be taxed at ordinary income tax rates. Yeah. So you're really not tying your money up with your employer if you sell it right away. Now, again, you, right. you have the option to continue holding the stock for as long as you'd like. Yep. But if you sell it right away, yes, even though that money is kind of in an ESPP stock account for those six months, you're guaranteed to get a discount on the purchase price. Mm-hmm. So if you're, if you're, I don't want to say smart about this because there could be other strategies, but if you, what I typically see makes most sense, if you sell right away, to your point, you haven't tied any money up with your employer stock. If anything, you've just used it to your advantage to get a guaranteed return that then you can take and diversify into other investments, or then you can take and put into a savings account if you have a short-term goal that you're looking to to fund, or then you can take it and spend it on something that you've been planning to spend it on. So if it, it's it's a great tool to get a short-term, and I won't say guaranteed because, like you said, there is a little bit of risk in it, but yeah, a short-term as really close to a guaranteed rate of return um, by by doing it that way. Right. And because there's no such thing as guarantees in our business, right? So I mean, the one it's like you can get the guarantee of. Um, a match on your stock on your 401k this 50 percent discount could could wash away really quickly if the stock moves against you so mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm hesitant to but it's the, it's pretty close yeah You're right yeah it's pretty, pretty close. close um i i do think that um and as far as when you were saying of could there be a better way to do this general here's my thought for most people espp cost basis becomes very hard to track 
And the reason that it becomes hard to track is because what we just spoke to you about with the example of it's worth $10 and you get it for $8.50. Well, that's your basis. And then you have it at 10 and then whatever happens thereafter. So there's really two components of tax you're always trying to calculate with ESPP when you hold it. And it's more complicated than other forms of stock compensation. So um, I would typically lean towards what we've what we've put forward of, of selling sooner rather than later. Yeah, especially because when, when, at least based on what I see, when people are deciding, should I do this or not? Um, one thing I get is, well, I want to participate, but I'm trying to save for a home instead, or I'm trying to save for this other thing instead. Right. And they're not mutually exclusive. Like, no. Use this to save for your home. Absolutely. Use this to save for your children's college. Use this to get that short term, not quite guaranteed, but probable rate of return, and then turn that around and do something different with it. Um, Agreed. Now, you could, as we mentioned, once that purchase period is over, you could continue to hold the shares. Yes. If if you want to kind of plan on your company going up or speculate that your company stock will go up, that, that may be something you want to do uh, for fun or for the future well, potential of that gain. A couple things I'll give everyone is realize that anytime you invest in one single stock, you are it is like you are walking into a casino and you are betting money at a table. Um, and here's the thing that happens. We have a we have a confidence bias that happens almost always within our business if we believe we're at a good company. Yeah. Because why can't it go up forever? Of course it's going to go up forever. Microsoft's never going to go down again, right? Netflix mm-hmm. is never going to go down. Like every every company that we're at right now is is the best company. That's why we're there, and we believe in the people who are there. So we want to see it go up, but. I have no problem with people building some position of their own company stock. I am a huge it's it, and and the the thing that that's tough is when you want to try to bet all of your livelihood on a single stock. Mm-hmm. Um, that can be tough. Yeah. So I'd be really careful about that. Yeah. And so to this listener's question of is am I risking tying up all my wealth in one company stock? Right. Well, if you do it the way we described before this of selling right away, no. But if that's your concern, then yes, there is a risk if you continue to hold the shares after the purchase date and and continue to hold them. Well, because it comes, yes, it comes back to your appetite for risk, right? So most of us, most planners are going to tell you to not have a majority of your wealth tied up in a single stock. Um, it will, it, it truly is playing, it's gambling, <laughs> right? right? Mm-hmm. Uh, building, building wealth over the long term um, is, is really all about broad diversification, which leads to a lower rate of return typically than what one in the, any individual stock is going to get. But at the same time, it's a, it is a safer path to get you there. So, mm-hmm. so long as you understand the risks that you're taking, um, we're almost always going to lean towards don't overly put you know any any of your money into one particular stock. Yeah, and the conversation I usually have with clients is if if you're funding all of your goal, if you're if you're saving enough to retirement and you're saving enough to all of your other goals and things that are important to you, and you still want to leave some in, then, then that's fine. Like if it's not enough to ruin what's really important to you, do it. But understand to your point that it is a gamble, and it could easily wipe out what you put in just as easily as it could. Uh, multiply what you've put in yeah and the other thing is just simply you could just think to yourself because this you are getting a discount here so touch that's happening but just simply ask yourself like if you know if if i had twenty five thousand dollars to spend right now Mm. of all the things that i could do in my life would i choose to go buy my company stock and if the answer is yes to that well then you may want to keep holding keep it. it there if the answer is no to that and you have other things you'd rather do with it, well, then the, the strategy we've already laid out may yeah. make more sense for yeah. you. Yeah, shift your thinking. I like, I like the way you put that. Yeah. 
Um, okay, awesome. So what we've, we've looked at is employee stock purchase plans or ESPPs. They can be a, a tremendous way to build wealth by just giving you these short-term, highly probable gains. Uh, maybe not the best thing to use forever. If you, What we typically recommend is sell as soon as you can and then do other things, diversify that wealth. Any other aspects of this that we want to add or anything else that we haven't touched upon yet? Now, just to reiterate that point, what I typically see is companies who have ESPP also have other forms of stock compensation, which we've already alluded to in the previous episode. And um, so you have different forms of holding company stock. So this isn't necessarily the only one, right? Right. So just be mindful of the, the, the best, the, the most efficient version of company stock if you want to hold some for a longer term. Right. Awesome. Thanks, Scott. Thank you. Thank you for listening to episode number 25 of the Real Personal Finance Podcast. We hope you're enjoying the show. And for a list of the resources and notes from the episode today, please head over to the Real Personal Finance website at realpersonalfinance.co and find episode number 25. If you're enjoying the podcast and you've not already done so, please subscribe and let us know that you're enjoying it by leaving a five-star review. We help more people find our podcast and we really enjoy getting to hear what you all think of it. And if you have a question you want us to answer in a future episode, then head over to the Real Personal Finance website. Again, that's realpersonalfinance.co. And there'll be a section on the bottom of each page where you can submit your question for us to answer on a future episode. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and should not be relied upon for a basis for investment decision. This podcast is not engaged in rendering legal, financial, or other professional services.